Welcome to the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Of course, there aren't really any normal people, but every person has a spirituality, whether plumbers or politicians, firefighters or farmers, entrepreneurs or entertainers. I'm Matthew Bruff, pastor and author, bringing you tips, guidance, and practical advice for how to live out and keep the life in your relationship with God. You can find show notes, books, and more at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. This is episode 21 of the Spirituality for Normal People podcast. Thanks so much for listening today. Today, I have an interview with Steve Weens. I came across Steve and his work just a few months ago for the first time, and I'm so glad I did. He is a really great author, um, is also the pastor of Genesis Covenant Church, and he has a podcast which is called This Good Word. The podcast is phenomenal, and you should go and listen to that one as well, so look that one up for sure. Um, We spend a bunch of time talking about his latest book, which actually releases today, and it's August 22nd, 2017. So if you might be listening to this in the future, so it's if you are, the book is out and available on uh, all kinds of websites, and you can get the link to that on the show notes today. Um, But I was just thrilled to talk to Steve, and I was able to get an early copy of the book. Um, So we spent a ton of time talking about the book, which I just loved. And what I loved about this book, I should tell you first, the subtitle of the book, well, the whole title is Whole. W-H-O-L-E. And then the subtitle is Restoring What is Broken in Me, You, and the Entire World. And it sounded like when I first saw the title of that book, I kind of thought, that's a, first of all, a really big topic. Um, And also I thought that's going to be kind of a heavy sort of read. And in a way, um, it is, it is a big topic, but it, it wasn't a heavy read. Uh, It was more like sitting down with a friend and having a great talk over a cup of coffee about what's really important in life. And, um, and and again, and and that's kind of what this interview is. It just sort of felt like I hadn't met Steve before uh, doing this interview, but it just sort of felt like just sitting down with a friend, uh, even though it was over the internet um, and just having a great conversation uh, about something that I've read that he's written. Um, It's pretty much what the conversation was. So I'm really glad I get to share that with you today, Um, and I really do recommend you go and get the book because uh, it honestly had a real impact on me as well. Uh, Steve and I talk a little bit about, at one point, we're both both church planters. Um, We both planted churches at one point or another, and um, there's a few sections of the book that I think really speak directly to pastors as well, but really for anyone just this idea of uh, a journey through brokenness to restoration uh, and the importance of that journey uh, uh, is just really a message that everyone really needs to hear and read about. And Steve just does it in such an accessible way and also in places in the book, uh, a kind of a lighthearted way and a humorous way, but then other places where it's just uh, heart-wrenching and... um, Really, I can't say enough good things about Whole, uh, so you really need to go and grab it and uh, and read it for yourself, because it'll be well worth your money and your time to do that. Uh, in the meantime, you get to listen to this great interview 
that I had with him. Uh, and if you're a regular listener of this podcast, I would really love and appreciate uh, your review on iTunes. Um, that really helps the podcast become more visible to others. So if you're able to leave a review on iTunes, that would mean a lot to me. Uh, you can also support the podcast through a website called Patreon, um, and that allows you to give some financial support to the podcast uh, to pay for things like the podcast hosting and some equipment costs and things like that. Uh, so if you are interested in helping out in that way, or if you want to know anything else more about this podcast, I do fairly extensive uh, podcast show notes, um, and you can find those on the website at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. Uh, I really hope you enjoy this interview today with Steve Weens. Today I have Steve Weens on the podcast, and it's just a thrill to have you on with me today, Steve. Uh, thanks, Matt. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, you are uh, an author and also a, pa- uh, a pastor, podcaster is what I'm trying to say, po- podcast and pastor <laughs> at the same time. Um, but I've just finished reading your latest book. I haven't had a chance to read your first one. So your latest one is called Whole. And the first one that you had out was called Beginnings. Yep. Um, and then your podcast is called This Good Word, right? Yes. Yep. And it is really great as well. So, you know, people should listen to this interview and then just not bother listening to more of mine and just go listen to yours. It's, <laughs> it's great. Oh man. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I, I would love to just kind of dive into the book. Well, I, and I want to talk a little bit about, cause we do that on, on this podcast is talk about personal spiritual practices and how we can yeah. with God, but so we'll, we'll come to that. But I also want to just dive into the, into the book, into whole. Um, and I cannot recommend it enough for people uh, I just think it's fantastic. So uh, the subtitle is Restoring What is Broken in Me, You, and the Entire World. Um, so that's kind of, uh, so, it's a, so it's a small book. Like it's not trying to do <laughs> too much, right? It's so funny, man. Everyone, including in the very beginning, when they would say, hey, what, you know, what's, what's this book called? And then I say, you know, whole, and then I give the sub everyone laughs like, well, that's, that's an aggressive goal. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. But I, but I really wanted to, there's a hint toward um, the inclusivity of restoration. Uh, I think I wanted to make that really explicit that um, when we, when we move toward restoration for our own souls and for our own sake if it really is restoration i believe it's going to move out and it's going to lead to the restoration of other people mm-hmm. i think that's how it works um i think that's what the fabric of of the creation really created by god was 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 meant to do um so yeah so it's a bit idealistic yeah. and a bit aggressive maybe typically american huh no no i think no i think it's good and and i think for me the christian faith is it it can never just be about about me right right and it in the end it isn't just about you know even just the local but it 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 is always looking at global cosmic (laughs) you know beyond um and we sometimes forget about that um that we we kind of it, it could have just been you know restoring what is broken in me and you um, but that's really not what, what our faith is about, right? Our faith yeah. is about kind of the whole, the whole thing. Um, what is broken and, uh, why do we need restoration? 
Well, I start the book with the story of my son. Now he's 10. His name is Isaac. But when he was about one, uh, my wife and I were sitting at the kitchen table having some coffee and he toddled over to us. And I could tell he had something in his mouth. And uh, so like any good parent does. And one-year-olds, they always have something in their mouth. Okay. Uh, but I, I reached in there because, you know, uh, otherwise he might choke. And what I pulled out was a jagged piece of glass. And it scared us so bad. I mean, he could have swallowed that thing and we would have been uh, in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and what had happened was he, uh, we, we had dropped a, a glass bowl. It must've been a glass bowl a few days before. And we'd swept it up as much as we could. But um, there was this little, there was this probably the size of a quarter, this jagged piece of glass that had wedged itself in between refrigerator and the wall and the thing is i had seen it uh which i I don't know why i didn't pick it you know it's like maybe i was sleep deprived parent of a one-year-old i'm not sure but i didn't pick it up and it ended up in my in my son's mouth and um as i reflected and as i reflect now over our world i mean i think about the refugee crisis in syria i think about uh all the immigrants that that need a place to be. Um, I think about, and even over here in the United States, uh, the polarization right now uh, regarding our political landscape is so broken. Uh, Everyone is racing to the extremes. Uh, Everyone, so discourse is broken. Relationships are broken. Uh, Hope is even broken. I mean, it's interesting uh, you know, I'm 46 now, and even in my lifetime, I feel like I've seen the cynicism uh, skyrocket while hope has taken a real backseat. And if you're hopeful at all, you're sort of seen as this, you know, idealist that lives in a Pixar movie or something like that. But I think one of the main themes of the scriptures is this idea of shalom, which is where I got the title. Uh, shalom is usually translated peace, but really a better, as you know, Matt, a, a better understanding of shalom is a sense of wholeness, restoring something that has been broken. And so I think as I look around the world, um, I don't think everything is broken, but I, I do think a sober look at the world, we would have to agree that uh, much of what we need uh, is currently broken. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say, as I'm listening to you speak, we, we, the right question is really what isn't broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I would even add myself. But you know, I love right? that you I mean, come back to hope too, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, so this, this, this book is not a cynical uh, treatise on everything that's wrong. It really right. is a hopeful journey. Um, that my hope is that people would read it and then go on a journey that they would find themselves within the pages of, of the scriptures. And, you know, uh, the scriptures are weird, right? I mean, the Bible is a, just a funky, weird, really bizarre book filled with some of the weirdest stories of pain and brokenness and betrayal. I mean, it's like house of cards meets game of thrones. I mean, it's really, if you, if you pay attention to it, it is so um, it's, it's, it's such an interesting 
uh, way of telling the story of God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the arc that shoots all the way through it is this idea of restoration. I mean, this 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 idea that that God is actively restoring that which is broken. And that starts with relationship, of course, uh, but it moves out toward um, personally, and then it, but then it moves out toward communally. And, um, and I believe God's work is uh, out to restore uh, the whole world, all of us. Right. Um, I'm, I'm a pastor and our, our, our main vision statement for our church is joining God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. So that's a, that's a, that's a nod to uh, this core bedrock belief that I have that God is really up to uh, restoring things. And God is inviting us to be co-creators in that restoration project. I I think too, like we talked about how the scope of the entire world is important, but I also found the book was really personal. Cool. Um, And, and I think that's important too, because I, I feel like when you're reading something like that, at least for me, I need to, like, I need to be able to locate myself in that first and see, oh yeah, right. Um, I need to be able to admit that there's things that are broken about me yeah. And then what is the journey of restoration that I'm on? Yeah. And, and then I'm invited to participate in the wider restoration that God is up to in the world. Yeah. But, but it's got, you've got to connect to it personally. And yes. I loved the way you did that in the book. Oh, thank you. It was, it was really good. Um, you mentioned journey as well. And uh, so there's a, there's a quote that I, that I really, uh, I'll, I'll just read it out. And because uh, it kind of talks about this idea um, where you wrote, there are things that need to change in me. They just won't be changed by feeling bad about myself or trying to trying really hard to fix them. That isn't how wholeness works. The journey of wholeness is not a self-improvement project. It's a journey of loss, trust, transformation, and eventually hope. Uh, And I love that. Um, But I want to ask you then what's the difference between a self-improvement project and a journey? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, I, well, for me, uh, a self-improvement project requires no faith or trust. Um, if I want to lose 10 pounds, um, and I do, <laughs> um, the, 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 you know, the, there are some things that I can do. I can eliminate carbs. I can exercise more. But at the end of the day, it, it, it really is all about me trying hard. Um, and, and I can, there are things I can try hard to do and I can, I can accomplish them. But when it comes to wholeness, um, because it's such a spiritual process, uh, I believe God invites us on, on a particular journey. Like I write about in the book, I write about the journey that God invites, uh, Abram to go on. And it's really interesting that we don't really know anything about Abram. We don't know what God he worships. We don't know anything about his childhood, we don't know anything about him other than he's married to this woman named Sarai. And he's the son of this guy who was on his way to Canaan, but got waylaid in this, in this one place. And so God invites Abram to go to a place that God will eventually show him. (laughs) And the fascinating thing is that Abram says yes. And we don't know why he says yes. We don't, but, but then he goes on a journey and he has no idea really what that journey is going to be about. It eventually is going to include infertility. It'll include, um, 
you know, betrayal. It'll include um, eventually having a son through a concubine and then throwing that son out of the camp, knowing that he will almost surely die. And I'm sure loving that son. It'll include um, being asked to sacrifice uh, his son that he finally has with his wife, Sarai. I mean, it's just this bizarre. So like if you were going to talk to Abram about um, the self-improvement plan that perhaps he was on (laughs) for his own life, he would laugh at you. And so should we, right? I mean, some of the things that are broken in me, um, just a a couple of days ago, there was this thing that, that I, I, I do an examine of consciousness at the end of the day, which is just mm-hmm. sort of a, sort of a reviewing of the day with God and God, please mm-hmm. show me uh, where maybe I have loved and where maybe I have followed you and please show me where I haven't. And this thing came up that I, where, like I, where I was not, mm-hmm. was not uh, following God and was not acting according to what I, what I want to be. And in the moment, um, I felt bad about myself and I felt like, oh man, I I started making these resolutions to not do that again. And then it occurred to me, um, I I actually just need to ask for forgiveness for that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that, that's what could have the power to break it, not some resolution that I would make. And so my wife says this thing, I love this thing that she says, she says, faith is a lot more about mystery than it is about mastery, right? Mm-hmm. Which, um, you know, mastery is all about getting it right. And we all want to do that. And, and we all try to figure out our spiritual lives uh, in a way that we master them. But again, back to Abram, if you were to ask him like, okay, so what degree of mastery do you think you have accomplished right. in your following of God? I think he would laugh. I, I think because mm-hmm. it was so topsy-turvy and all the characters in the scriptures are like that i mean whether they experience victory or loss it's all uh it's all a journey of of mystery um and i love what richard Rohr says about mystery he says mystery is not something that we can never understand it's something we can endlessly understand yeah i love Uh, that um i I, I just i just heard you talk about that i think on your podcast actually oh cool maybe that uh, is where i heard it but um I, yeah, that's just a fantastic quote. Um, I love Richard Gore. Understanding. Um, and I, I love that you're talking about Abraham too. And I, and that was great in the book. Um, I've been writing a lot about Abraham's story myself um, for a project that I'm working on. Nice. Um, and one of, like, one of the, there's a whole bunch of things that are striking about that story, um, about his story and his journey. I mean, he, when God asks him to go to the land, like, I think it's something like in less than six verses, he's already got to the promised land. Yeah. But, but then right away there's a drought and he can't stay there and off you go down to Egypt. And then it yes. just takes forever for anything to ever happen. Um, and I just thought, Oh, that's, that's exactly what life is like, you know, that, uh, yes. Oh, there's the glimpse. I've told you the story of going and you get a glimpse of it. And suddenly there's a bit of clarity in your spiritual life and you think, oh, I've got it. And then it's gone. Right. Um, and I, I just, I love that because it's just so true to, to life. It's, scripture is fantastic. Well, I, 
I love the title of your podcast, Spirituality for Normal People, because that's that's what that is. I mean, spirituality for normal people, uh, we don't experience like the, you know, we said yes to God and then our life got really, really great. Right. <laughs> and right. and everything went up and to the right and our kids yeah. Yeah. killed it. And, you know, like, no, yeah. not so much. Well, and I love in Abraham's story too, that, um, you know, there's times where God is essentially just not not in the story. I mean, whether God was speaking and Abraham was hearing him, it, like we don't know, but it's just not recorded. Right. You know, like the, the distance between the birth of his sons is what, 13 years. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and we just jump right over that in, oh, in the gosh. Bible, but it, there's 13 years of time where Abraham thinks, Oh, the promise has been fulfilled through this son. We took care of it. And then suddenly God shows up and says, actually, no, exactly <laughs> right. You know, what are we doing? And, and, we think, oh, I haven't, you know, man, my prayer life has been dry for the last three months or whatever. Like, what about 13 years? You know, and, and Abraham's first calling, how old is he when he's first called? Like yeah. when we get introduced to his story, you know, he's in 70, 75, something like that. I mean, he is. Yeah. Um, so, so I think he, I, one of the things that I've been writing um, was, you know, if, if you haven't heard from God and, and you're under 75 years old, um, <laughs> then, you know, maybe wait till you're 70. Like maybe God calls you when you're 75. (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) I think God is speaking all the time and there are things we can do to hear what God's saying. But, but I think there's something to be said for patience and just realizing the human story is just sometimes you go through those times. I totally agree. I totally agree. That's well said. Uh, Oh, wow. Uh, I was going to ask you about, uh, wow, you said something there. Um, But maybe I'll just jump to something totally different. Um, I want to ask you about joy. Yeah. Um, because you have a section in your book that, uh, that really stuck out for me. And I think this is really important. Something that says my own joy and enjoyment matter in measuring at least some of the metrics for indicating a successful Steve. Uh, I think I'm starting to learn that I can I can be a joyful pastor, not a driven one, not a busy one, not a heroic one. And I know there's pastors who listen to this, and I'm a pastor, yeah, um, as well. And I think um, this resonated for for me because I sometimes feel like I should just be serving, yeah, or doing, and and whether I'm enjoying myself or whether I'm joyful in that is not really that important. The yeah. service is the important bit. So I want to ask you about that. And how do you, how do you find joy in, in the everyday or how do you keep that? Well, it's a great question, Matt. And I think um, I actually, I'm more given to melancholy and depression, actually. That runs in my family and I've struggled with depression probably my whole life. Uh, so joy is something that is a bit elusive for me, and which is, I think, why I wrote about it like that. Um, I find it a lot easier to stay busy and stay driven and stay producing and stay, you know, that, that can kind of create its own buzz, which can sometimes, uh, for a short time anyway, sort of keep the melancholy at bay. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, what I'm writing about here, I, I had the, the great fortune, the lucky fortune of meeting with Eugene Peterson, uh, and I asked him, what do you think pastors struggle with um, the most in 2017, in your opinion? And this guy's 84 years old. You know, he's just one of the 
he's one of my heroes, absolutely. And he answered without any hesitation, pastors are so impatient right now. They want to be successful right away. And then later he said, by the way, pastors, like you can't be successful. You are a bundle of failings. Love it. Right? Yeah. Which that gives rise to two reactions in me and in you maybe. It's like on the one hand, you go, oh, you know, oh, life is hopeless then. Like I'm never. But on the other hand, like you start to realize I have less to lose than I thought then because I am a bundle of feelings. And so there's a kind of joy that can come when we start to name those. Okay, so especially as pastors, right? Let's be honest. We get our success by the amount of people that fill the pews. We get our success, our, our feeling of success mm-hmm. by our, the, the, the way that other pastors in our city look at us. In terms of respect or not respect, we get our sense of success from the amount of money that pours into our offering baskets or not. There's just a whole lot of things that we say that we're above, but almost none of us are. I mean, show me a pastor where the attendance is a little down for a season or even for a Sunday. uh, And then, you know, you're kind of looking around right before you're going to speak and you realize man, where is everybody? (laughs) And that inner battle. We're both both church planters as well. We were talking beforehand and that can, I I think sometimes you've got, well, a couple of things going there as well as that. I I totally hear what you're saying, but the attendance thing, that's that's a huge thing. And it's such a worry. Like I remember when we were first, and I still sometimes get this feeling now, but when we were first starting, it wasn't just, Oh, where, you know, where the people today, it was, Oh, this whole thing's going to fall apart. Yeah. Is this oh, no. the week where like, it all goes down? Oh, every, yeah. uh, there's only like, there's only the three people who showed up to help yeah. Yeah. today. That's it. And, and oh, <laughs> is anyone else going to show up? It's like yeah. a minute after 10 when we're supposed right. to start. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think, I mean, joy, joy, again, joy can be a little elusive for me, but, but what I'm, what I'm trying to press into is, um, if if in this busy crazy world if pastors are anything what about if we are supposed to be the people who model uh how to rest well and how to have a sense of our own lives with some boundaries and uh our own hobbies that we love that have nothing to do with the church um, of course, the church is so important to us, um, but most of us don't need to be reminded of that. You know, most of us need to be reminded that we're human beings, we're children of God, we're dads, we're husbands, uh, apart from our role as pastors. And so I think there's a joy in resizing our vocation. Not that it's not important, it's so important, but it's also not our whole lives. And I think when it becomes our whole lives, that's that's when the the you know, the joy starts getting really stolen, mm-hmm. I think. And that actually might be true uh, kind of across the board for, for anyone yeah. really, right? Yeah. When, when we've put, it's really about when you put something else in the ultimate place. Yeah. Like when you're, when you're replacing what really is supposed to be God yeah. <laughs> with, with something else, whether it's work or whatever it is, um, right. you're, you're running into big trouble. But I think it's, um, I think it's a, pastors I think, are really good at doing that. 
Well, and that's what I mean. Like, I think you're totally right. Anything can be that other thing, but it's especially insidious for pastors because we're, and I'm doing air quotes right now, we're we're doing God's work. And so, you know, ergo, this is really, really important. And it is, but boy, let's be careful not to get so lost in that. And I think that's some of what Eugene Peterson was saying when it's like, you can't be a successful pastor. You're a bundle of failings. There's there's, like, he wanted to rip the bandaid off, you know, like just get settle this one. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, But very, very tough as well. I know. know. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I want I know where I wanted to go before. I want to go back to uh, this idea of Abraham seeing the promised land, getting a glimpse of it. And then, because that's kind of where your book ends up going. Again, not necessarily talking about Abraham, but talking about the promised land. Um, And uh, what's the connection really between understanding sort of the role of the promised land and, and wholeness and, and restoration. And sort of along with that question is that one of the places in the book you point out is when God tells Joshua as they're entering the promised land, tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. And you yeah. point out that, well, why is God telling Joshua to be strong and courageous if the promised <laughs> land is the promised land? Like, shouldn't it just be easy because now you've arrived and you're here yeah. What do you need to be strong and courageous for? And I thought that was brilliant to, to point that oh, out. Man. But the, what are the connections there? Yeah. Well, in the second half of the book, I talk about the journey from Egypt to the wilderness, to the promised land. Yeah. And this is the archetypal journey that we all take, that human beings must take. We find ourselves in slavery. We leave slavery, but there's no nonstop flight from slavery to the promised land. You, you actually, you have to go through the wilderness. And the wilderness in the Hebrew, uh, the word is uh, deber, um, and no, the word is midbar, that, that's what wilderness is, but it comes from the root word deber, which means to speak. And so if you look at it from Hagar to the children of Israel to Moses, the, the, the wilderness is the place where you're stripped of all your security, and it's the place where you hear God speaking. Mm-hmm. And that's true about Jesus. That's, that's just true. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, it, it's a hard, stark place where you don't know where you're going. You know where you've been, but you don't know where you're going. And so, um, but eventually then you, the wilderness doesn't last forever. I mean, eventually you do cross the border into uh, the archetypal promised land, but your, 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 your question. And I, I, I remember when it hit me because in Joshua one, literally, I think it's five times, four or five times that Joshua is told, be strong and courageous. So I begin to question like, wait a minute, the promised land, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's where, but it's also, I mean, if you read Joshua, Joshua is kind of a brutal book. I mean, it's really like, I, I don't know what to do with it because it's, it's God, apparently telling God's people to just conquer city after city after city. So it's this, it's this place of sort of conquest, but I think the promised land, if you, if you can climb out of the violence problem that, that happens in Joshua, which is really hard to do. The promised land is not a panacea. You know, it's not where our problems are all solved or sitting around eating bonbons all day. And it's not heaven actually. But it is the place where finally you 
have taken what you've learned in the wilderness uh, and you remember what it was like to be a slave and you go and you actually start fighting for the restoration of others because you now have an authority that is on you because you haven't, um, you haven't bypassed the wilderness. You've actually been through it. And if you think about G and I write about Jesus in the wilderness in, in chapter seven. And if you think about Jesus as a human being who really faced real temptation and it wasn't, uh, like that wasn't a gimme for him in the wilderness. It wasn't just like, well, I'm God. So I can, I can just swat these temptations off like flies. I mean, they really, he had to go through something and he had to actually even learn something. And so when he came out of the wilderness, I think part of the authority that he had when he taught the way he taught and even did miracles the way he did comes out of that hard one. He, he, he had made it through. And so the promised land in this sense, when it comes to the restoration of all things, we need people who are willing to leave their Egypt and not go back and go all the way through the wilderness, however long it takes, and then emerge into the promised land, having some authority to speak prophetically against some of the empire of the world that says, nah, life is really, life is really back in Egypt. Uh, it, 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 it takes someone of, of, of strength and character and, uh, endurance. And I think that's what Paul's talking about when he's, you know, when he goes in that run of like, you know, hope produces perseverance and perseverance produces whatever it is. Um, so that's, that's the, for me, that's what the promised land is. It's not a place to kick your feet up and finally arrive. It's actually a time to be strong and courageous because there are others who need to be fought for. Yeah. And I wonder, like, what do you think of that idea that maybe we kind of move back and forth a little bit as well? Oh, um, for sure. Right. And even, oh, even yeah. Jesus, like I haven't really thought of this, but even Jesus where he has at the beginning of his ministry is the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, but then he goes off and withdraws Yeah. Um, for time. And we often think of that as time of prayer, but I wonder, um, like Garden of Gethsemane, same thing, yeah. like it's a kind of another mini temptation in a way. Oh, for um, sure it is. Cause he says, let this yeah, cup pass. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely a temptation. And I think you're totally right. I mean, we, um, the journey from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land is certainly not a once and done. And it's certainly not, uh, even when you're in, I mean, and, and that's where I think the, the person of Moses is a great person to look because when he goes back to Egypt, he's carrying with him all the authority of the wilderness and all the, you know, he's, he's, he's sort of left his Egypt, but now he's back in it. And now he has to sort of face it all over again as he's leading a group of people. So it, it's on one sense, it's never really done. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. Um, by the way, I loved, I mean, you do a great job of, of uh, telling stories. Like that's a real strength in the book. Um, both your stories, personal stories, but then you do retellings of uh, biblical stories yeah. um, around certain characters. And the one of, you know, around Jesus, uh, G- you do Jesus' temptation. Yeah. Wow, that was well done. Like, <laughs> just, <laughs> just in terms of writing, um, really, really good. Um, and really helps to enter into the story. Like, um, really, I'm just trying to tell people to buy your book and, and go get it. Because, uh, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, because not, not just, um, 
not just for the theme, but even just for the way things are told in the book, like that. Mm. And if, if people are interested in um, sort of imaginative and interesting ways of entering into biblical stories, it's worth it just to get those out of the book. <laughs> because oh, those thank are so you, great. man. Actually, that, that really means a lot because I think some of the ways that I enter into the scriptures is I think it, you, I, I have to imagine what might've happened in between the verses, you know, and in between the lines. And so, yeah. uh, that chapter that I wrote, uh, where I wrote the experience in my imagination of what Jesus might have felt and gone through is imaginative. I mean, it's, it's on one level made up and can no, you do yeah. that? You know, like, can you may, but then, I mean, the, the tradition, the Jewish tradition of the midrash, that's what it all is. I mean, it's, it's just, it's people who have studied, who say, boy, I wonder, I wonder what that was like. All we get are a few verses. Um, but even I wonder about like, did Jesus know that it was going to be 40 days or did he just, was he just led in the desert and led in the wilderness and until he's done? I mean, even that, like, I, I don't, I just think it was so much harder than we think it was. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that we do and generally with scripture, we kind of said this with, uh, with Abraham too, is we we're especially like people in the church, like we're really good at just glossing over. And yeah. um, so 40 days of temptation or 40 days in the wilderness. And then there's the three temptations. And I think when you just read it, it, it just kind of seems like, you know, oh, and then Satan showed him yeah. you know, all, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, no, yeah. thanks. I'm fine. And you know, I, I'm thinking, well, how, how, if that's what's going on, like, how long did that take? Like, was that, was that just one afternoon, the three temptations happened out of the 40 days? Or are we talking like 10 of those days, he was really struggling with, with right. this and, and the, you know, offering of bread, you know, why don't you just make these stones into bread? Yeah. Like, that sounds like that's probably an ongoing kind of thing. Like, that's oh, yeah. not, that's not a, well, on day four, he got really hungry. Right. Um, he's going to be hungry for the whole time. The whole time. Um, so I, and I think we just don't think about those, but when you, when you read it in a different way, like I'm not trying to say, oh, Steve's got the answer of what really happened. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, no, that's, that's not, not the point. No. But when you read sort of a different imagining and trying to put on different language around it, it, it helps you enter the story and realize, oh, right. Like there was a reality that was actually going on for Jesus yeah. We have, we have a report on that. Right. Um, right. But, but to try to imagine, well, what's he going through? And I think lots of people have done that with the cross. Yeah. We we've, we've taken lots of license with, with that and gone into detail about, well, what does it actually feel like to be yeah. crucified? And we have yeah. no issue with describing that. But then when we get imaginative retellings of other things, for some reason we have yeah. problems do with that, that. <laughs> but, but we're fine with yeah. like going into the, well, medically what was going to happen and, yeah. And doing all of that stuff with the cross, we have no oh, that's issue. Good point. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, th- I think the retellings are, are great. Thank um, you. Uh, what do you think of, what do you think of Scorsese's uh, Last Temptation of Christ since we're on the, have you seen that? Man, it's, I think I saw it once, like a, a long really long time, time since I saw that. Yeah. But it did kind of it's remind me of that a little I, bit. You know what? I, I can't totally, yes. I can't totally speak to that because it's honestly been so long, yeah. but I did watch, um, 
the film, I can't remember what the name of it, but it's, um, it stars, um, oh, now I can't remember his name, but it's Jesus um, in the, in the wilderness and the same person who plays Jesus plays the Satan character as well. It's Ewan, Ewan McGregor. Uh, It's called last days in the desert. Uh, And it's really, really well done. Mm. Uh, It's not completely satisfying in every single way, but, but in terms of imagining um, the weakness of Jesus. And I think that's, I think that's where, um, we have such a hard time. Like we don't like a, a, a Jesus that is, that is really tempted or that displays any weakness. Right. Um, which is fascinating to me because to me, if Jesus was weak and still really hung on to his faith in God, of course, Jesus was God, but he had a, he had a, he had a relationship with God the same way that we do. Um, that then he's more like, I love him more, you know, not less. Um, I don't need, in fact, if I was convinced Jesus was a Superman that faked his way through his earthly life, that wouldn't be very compelling to me at all. Um, but that's how we talk about it. I think we do that a lot. And then, so we'll do two things. I think we'll say, okay, Jesus saves us that he does that. So that's good. But then he's also, so when, and then when that's done, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, as if, it, yeah. As if it's done. As if it's done um, ever. Then he's your example and you got to follow him. So yeah, yeah. look at what Jesus could do and look at what he was able to sustain and look at, you know, he walked to the cross. So now you have to, because yeah. he's your example, forgetting that, you know, thinking of Jesus as weak and, and dependent on the father yeah. and needing the spirit. Yeah. Like, I, I like that because then that says to me, if he's my example to follow, then maybe I actually can follow that example. Exactly. Uh, exactly utter dependence on god because i find myself in all kinds of situations where i don't feel like i really have any capability or what what can i possibly bring to this absolutely um, and i just gotta ask for for god to to do yeah. it you know absolutely God's take care of it, so yes 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 right. by the way matt there's a book if you haven't read lamb uh the the <laughs> Gosh, what? But it's oh, called it's, Lamb. Yeah, is, I've heard of this. It's it's by. Um, oh gosh, now I can't remember his name. Um, but it's a fascinating retelling. The whole premise is that there's a there's a childhood friend of Jesus that was sort of excommunicated. He should have written one of the Gospels, but they didn't mm. let him because he was so ir- irreverent. But then something happens, and he gets resurrected. Um, in order to write his gospel down. And so he's holed up in this hotel room with this angel writing down his memory of Jesus. So you're saying you believe this is all true, right? That's what you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Totally literal. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, it's so fun and funny and poignant. It's really one of these books that like, oh, if you cool. want to get in okay. touch with the human Jesus in a very, Christopher Moore is, is, okay. is, is the author. Okay. And if you want to get in touch with this kind of, um, it's hilarious, but it's also really, really well done. Oh, cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right. I, I want to ask you, and you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned yeah. examine earlier. Um, I want to ask you about your spiritual practices and that kind of thing. Um, but first, actually, I wanted you to tell me about what an awesome surfer you are. <laughs> 
Touche. So I wrote in the book, that's what you're referring to. Um, I actually grew up in Southern California, but I moved away when I was 13 and I never learned how to surf. And so it's always been this lifelong dream of mine to learn how to surf. So I was in Laguna Beach, uh, which is um, Southern California, south of LA, uh, right on the coast. And I was there to do some writing when my buddy Charlie was with me. And so we decided to take some surfing lessons, right? And um, I, it, it, like, I could not wait for this. But then when it got there, I kind of wanted to bail because like surfing, I, I've always wanted to, but I knew how hard it was. And so um, I I made my way down to the beach. And it's interesting because there's, there's probably like 10 surfboards sitting on the sand and you got to pick one. And some of them were these huge, they called them aircraft carriers. I mean, they're huge blue. You, know, you could tell like they would survive a nuclear war. I mean, they're just enormous, enormous planks. But then there are these smaller ones that actually look like surfboards. So I, I picked one of the smaller ones, um, you know, because it was much cooler. And I, you know, so it kind of taught us how to pop up on the sand, which wasn't that easy to begin with. Uh, and we, we, and we got out in the water and I paddle, I found my way. It was really, really kind of minor, minor break. So it wasn't that hard to paddle out past it. But once we got out there, when you're, you know, like you see surfers sitting in the water, sitting on their surfboards, right? I mean, that's just this iconic look. And it's very cool. They're in their wetsuits and they're sitting on their surfboards talking. There was some even beginners doing that. So I kind of paddled up and I tried to, I tried to do that, but I kept sliding off of my board. Like a, like imagine a person sliding off of a horse, you know, I mean, it was so embarrassed. Like, so that was embarrassing. And then every time I, uh, like I, I tried to catch probably five waves and the, the closest I got to was, I think I maybe had got on one knee for like a, like a second. Um, and so, yeah, awful surfer actually. And, but what I, so what I learned from that experience, um, number one, surfing is a lot harder than you think, but number two it just, it, it just, re, I, it was revealed to me so hardcore how important it is for me to be awesome at something like from day one and how success, I, kind of the themes of me wanting to appear successful, embarrassingly enough. I mean, it's just so embarrassing, but I write a lot about it. So I guess it shouldn't be that embarrassing to say it out loud. Um, part of my journey toward wholeness is laying down the need to be admirable, right? Mm -hmm. To be seen as successful. And so... This um, is actually why I wanted to ask you about this story because I actually really resonated with that part of the book. Yeah. Um, Because I I feel a very similar thing where um, that I think I'm, yeah, well, I'm trying to (laughs) to overcome. I don't know. Um, But even things like writing... um, you know, and realizing that, okay, I I try to look at, okay, well, in 10 years, I'll probably be a better writer than I am now. And, and so, but I'm not going to stop writing, right? Because I'm, I'm not as good as I will be in 10 years. That's ridiculous. Right. Um, And that could stop me from not sharing my words or, oh, yeah, you know, and that stopped me from starting the podcast, even Um, I wanted to do the podcast for probably well over a year. And just thinking, well, is a combination of do I really have the time to do it? And I had all kinds of excuses, yeah. but a lot yeah. of it kind of boiled down to, well, I'm probably not going to, 
I'm not going to do a great job. Yeah. Yeah. So unless I'm going to be perfect at it, like why, why start? Why do it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Not so good. Yeah. I, I think this is, so this, I think this is a lot of us. Um, and if you're, are, do you know the Enneagram, Matt? Are you yeah, an Enneagram yeah. guy? Uh, well, you... I know it and I did it and I can't remember what I am. Okay. So I'm so, not, I'm not I'm, super into it, but. Okay. Well, I'm a three on the Enneagram and three is real. Like this is a three. What I wrote about it is a three issue where we, we tend to get a lot of our self-worth out of what we produce and out of how, how, out of how we're seen. Yeah. Right. And so where we can tend to go off the rails is if it gets so important to be seen as successful or whatever it is, then you can really start to live a deceptive life. Like, like you can really start to project an image. Um, and so threes that are really, that have gone off the rails, these are the people that are the kind of the, um, slimy salespeople that will just do anything to get the sale, but they kind of come across as like shallow and gross. And, um, and so, so, um, I know that, I know that I can go there and knowing that I can go there actually helps me, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) Lord have mercy on me. A sinner is a prayer. I actually pray quite a bit. Um, even as a breath prayer, um, and not even as a way of feeling really bad about myself, just to say like, just to reset, like actually, yeah, Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me. But then the other thing to hold in this, I think, is um, that like, thank God, God doesn't wait for perfect motivation in order for us to do stuff. You know what I mean? Because none of us have it. I was just sitting with someone else the other day and I could tell there was this younger woman leader and I could tell she was struggling with this question of, am I, are my motives pure, you know, Hmm. for this thing that she wanted to go into and I just kind of smiled and I said, well, of course they're not, you know, <laughs> of course your motives aren't pure. None of us are. And like, because like, think about it, uh, at least, so the starting podcast, hmm. you have one and I have one. Well, at least a percentage of what gave us the gumption to start it is this motivation to like be seen as successful, you know what I mean? Or like meet some cool person like Richard Rohr, you know what I mean? Like, like at least a part of it is maybe it's as as much as a half or maybe more. Um, But I, I, The, the other half is book marketing. Yeah, well, that, that, that's absolutely why I started this podcast two years ago to to promote my first book. I mean, un, un, unabashedly. But no, there's this there's this real freedom that that comes when you go. You know what? I don't. Um, hopefully, hopefully, my own personal ambition diminishes over the years, but that I kind of see God as sort of smiling and laughing and saying you know, Steve, you rascal, you know? Yeah, of course I'm going to, of course, like church planters, half of us are like, why else would, I mean, we're crazy and we're um, narcissistic, at least to a certain degree. We're megalomaniacs, at least to a certain degree. Otherwise we wouldn't have the gumption to do it. And that doesn't mean that everything's fine. There's, there's some things to really, really work on there. But it also doesn't mean you're you're disqualified because you have some of that stuff. So, and this this kind of yeah. goes to the whole journey idea, right? Like, yeah. Now, if 
you know, if only two people listen to my podcast, I'd want to do everything I could do to keep doing it because regardless of who I've talked to, the conversations have been so fantastic. That's what I and feel too. Actually. Whether whether it's like, you know, somebody bigger, whatever that means, or someone that nobody knows, like, um, like I wow, this is so awesome. Like we get to sit and talk about spirituality and theology yep. and God yep. and and have these conversations with people from all over the place. I would just keep doing it anyway now. And the same thing with church planting. I got to a point where, and I mentioned before, sort of the fear of everything's going to fall apart. I eventually got to a point where I thought, well, if it does fall apart, we've actually done some really good stuff here. We've, we've yeah. impacted the lives of people. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. Like everyone, like the people who are involved right now, they're disciples of Jesus. They're, yep. they, would, they would move on. They'd go somewhere else and they'd have a great impact for God there. Yes. So wonderful. Yes. Um, you know, and I still like, I still want it to be successful. Sure. I still have sure. that kind of ambition sort of there, but realizing, oh yeah, God's still using me and still using our community um, for God's purposes or whether that's the podcast or whether that's writing as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh yeah, you know, I'd love to sell more books. That'd be great. I'm sure you would, you want people to oh, hear yeah. this podcast and go and yes. buy your book. Yes. Um, but you'd probably keep writing. Yeah. And, and then for me, I just realized, wow, I would, I would still write just because I've, I've kind of found God's joy in writing. Yeah. For and, sure. uh, yeah. So, so why would I stop doing that? And, yeah. you know, if I can share that and that helps other people, great. Um, and if people buy the stuff even better, you know, yeah, that's, exactly. that's wonderful. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, but, but it's, it's part of that journey is God will even use things like a, a, sometimes a somewhat unhealthy ambition um, and then God will move you where where uh, kind of a, to a new way of understanding that. Yeah, I think I think my opinion, God is looking for a yes, knowing yeah. that that yes is going to have some mixed motives. But then hopefully the next yes is a little bit, you know, like there's some refining to do. Okay, yeah. okay, God, yeah, I know that. And that's been my journey. I mean, I think you know, if I look back on my life, there's been a lot of things, almost everything good. I mean, again, Richard Rohr says. Like, but it, I mean, he, he goes so far to say, as like, you've, you've never had one good motivation in, in your life. Like, and I don't know if I go yeah. that far, you know, but I think the point is again, God's rascally grace says, yeah, I'm just looking for a yes. And, um, thank God that, that so many of us uh, can actually do some things for God's kingdom, even though, yeah. even though we have mixed motives, I think okay. that's really good news. Do you have time for one or two more questions? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. What, what, uh, what does your personal spiritual practice look like? What, uh, what kinds of things do you do? You mentioned a couple of things in yeah. passing, but. You know, um, I try to keep it pretty simple. I'm a morning person. So I do get up really early. Yeah. I don't think everyone has to, if you're not a morning person, I think do not use the morning, but I am. So that's, that works for me. And, um, I do about 10 minutes of silence of breathing. You know, I just, I, I set my phone alarm for 10 minutes and I breathe in and out. Uh, sometimes I use a breath prayer, like, um, God really loves me. God really loves me. <laughs> or I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. Um, uh, so I do that for like 10 minutes. And then, um, right now I'm going through the Ignatian exercises, um, which are the, the really intense, <laughs> my spiritual director is leading me through it. Uh, so it's a very intense um, way of looking at spiritual formation. Um, so that that includes uh, reading some scriptures, 
and and then praying. Um, and so silence, a, a little scripture thought. I usually don't go very far, not not many verses. I try to stop when something strikes me and sit on that for a while. Um, and then some kind of conversational prayer, but I don't, I mean, I don't try real hard. I think sometimes words get really in the way, honestly, of, um, communicating with God. Uh, I, I, when it starts to feel really hard, I just let it go and it's fine. Um, and then I try to do an examine at night, which is just this, this, you know, sort of, you're trying to figure out God is leading you through where was I awake and alive to God's presence? Uh, and where was I maybe asleep to God's presence mm-hmm. not to feel shame, not to feel like I'm a bad person just because I want to be more and more awake and alive to what God wants me uh, to be and do. And I want to be less and less asleep, less and less um, resistant to God's work in my life. Um, and so in the exam, it goes in and out for me. Like sometimes at night I just feel tired and I'm like, I do see a spiritual director about um, now once a week. It's, and I feel so like he's great, but like, Oh my gosh. I mean, once a week comes every day, it feels like, and we, we dive into the deep, the deep weeds, but, but it's really helpful for me because that's as a pastor, that's a place where I can be completely and totally utterly without edit. I can be so honest because he has no, you know, there's no authority over me. He he can't fire me. He can't call me a heretic. <laughs> well, he can, but it just yeah, won't it matter. Yeah. It doesn't stick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it doesn't stick. Um, and I have been more in the past. I've been more um, intentional about a Sabbath, and I've I've really um, by Sabbath I certainly don't mean like a boring day where you don't do anything fun. In fact, mm. I think a Sabbath is the time to really experience joy you know, and unplugging from some of the productive things, but I've, I've really been in a season of drivenness lately. And, and, mm-hmm. um, so as I even talk about Sabbath, I go, gosh, you know, it's probably time to re reconnect with that as a discipline first. Um, cause it's hard to unplug for me. Um, you know, before it gets, it gets beautiful and fun. It actually feels like withdrawal. <laughs> so yeah. those are a few of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, I, I've mentioned this before, because so many people mention Sabbath and actually struggle with it. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've got to get somebody on here who's, uh, where we're going to really dive into that and, and talk about it. Because um, I like that. Uh, it feels like withdrawal, or it feels like, like it's, it's hard yeah, at first. It is hard. It is yeah. hard. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, what do you do? So with the Sabbath thing, let's just, let's yeah. just talk about that. Um, so, so what would, what would your plan be to kind of get back in? Like if, uh, cause this is kind of a question I ask usually is if you're kind of in a rut, what do you yeah. do? But maybe just about, about this, what would you, to try to get back in? How do you approach that? Well, I think it was for me, I would need to ask, you know, what are the things I need to put down? Right. I mean, cause there, there are some things like uh, my phone, email, social media, and, uh, any kind of creating, I, I would have to put that down, you know, cause it's, it's resting from some of those things that you get, you know, some dopamine hits from, you know, um, some adrenaline stuff. And then, um, and then I would ask, what do I, what do I want to do that might bring me some joy? So for me, that's doing some reading that is playing with my kids. Um, that's, um, having some alone time, 
honestly. Um, maybe watching a movie with my family at night, um, eating some good food. Um, but, but really, um, um, again, just trying to stay away from those for me, because I'm, I'm a driven person, um, uh, staying away from work in that sense of the word, creating things, responding to things. That's why email has to go. Social media has to go and turning up the dial on play, you know, Mm -hmm. and play being meaningless (laughs) activity that has no purpose. Um, and so for me, that's what a good Sabbath looks like. And you can see why at first it feels like withdrawal. I mean, I'm reaching for my phone, you know, like where's the dopamine hit of getting a text or, you know, responding to an email. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I was out, uh, I was out today and kind of got, uh, sidetracked a, a bit, um, got to a place where I normally do some work, um, and realized I didn't have my power cord for my computer in uh, my bag. Yeah. And I'd left it at church last night and I'm going on vacation tomorrow. So, oh no, I've got to drive to the church. It's about a 25 minute drive. Yeah. Got to drive down to the church just to get the cord. So I drove down, uh, okay, I'm not going to get the work done that I wanted to get done. I've got another meeting, Yeah, but it's an hour. It's about a 30 minute drive to where my meeting was. And I had an hour to get there. I thought, okay, what am I going to do now? And so I'm worrying about, I really have 30 minutes of, of, of nothing. Yeah. And I'm worrying about it. Yes. And so I, so I got in the car, I drove partway and kind of parked where the meeting was going to be. And I'm thinking like, now what do I do? Like I'm here. It was at a coffee shop. I'm here like half an hour early. Now what do I do? Okay. I, I guess I'll go for a walk and, the whole time, like most of the time I'm walking, I'm think I'm worrying about, wow, like I'm being so unproductive. Like I'm not getting anything done. Like this is ridiculous. And I've got my vacation starting tomorrow and now I'm going to have other things I've got to do later and invade on that family time. And I think about 20 minutes into walking, I just kind of sensed, why are you not just enjoying? Yes. Like it's sort of this God's voice coming and saying, just, just be with me for, yeah, just be with me for half an hour oh, or for man. 20 minutes. Like, you're outside, you're walking on the streets of a neighborhood you're not usually in. Just just be with God yeah. for, for... So I'm like, okay, now i got five minutes till my meeting. I, okay, yes. uh, I will be with God for five yeah. minutes. Now I've been with myself and my worries for 25. And that's kind of, to me, that's kind of like Sabbath in, in sort of yeah. microcosm, like it's sort of a mini Sabbath. But I, yeah. I, I do that as I worry about, ah, oh, I'm, I'm just wasting time here, you know? But I mean, how wonderful that you woke up, you know, I mean, like that would be an examine question, like, oh man, yeah, 25 minutes, sure, 25 minutes, you know, maybe I, I missed it, but I woke up. I mean, that's a huge win. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, we should, we should close this off, but this has been a fantastic conversation, Steve. Yeah. I really appreciate you being on the show. Matt, thank you so much. This is energizing for me. Uh, you ask amazing questions. So thank you. Thank awesome. You. Where can people go to find out about you and uh, your writing and your podcast? Best place is my website, steveweens.com. That's W-I-E-N-S.com. Okay. And you can find my books and my podcasts and my writing and all that stuff right on there. All right. And I'll for sure link to that from our website. Cool. All right. Thanks so much, Steve. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you found today's episode helpful. Don't forget to check out the show notes at spiritualityfornormalpeople.com. There you can sign up to get the free short guide called Six Tips to Get Consistent in Connecting with God. 
And when you do that, you'll also get the latest updates and news from the blog, plus book announcements and anything else I may be working on. So head over to spiritualityfornormalpeople.com and sign up. Thanks for listening today and take care.